most of us who are older to remember know very well where we were September the 11th, 2001. Just as some of you can go back to November of 1963 when President Kennedy was assassinated. And a few in this room can go back even further than that to December 7th, 1941. when The United States was attacked at Pearl Harbor. Remember the lives of those who went into work or got on a plane or who responded to an emergency call never to come back home again. And over the last 15 years, we have seen a nation at war, in turmoil, in conflict. And the temptation for us is to so focus on the enemy without that we forget about the enemy within. John writes it well in his gospel towards the end, his epistle rather. He says, beware not of Antichrist, whoever that may be, but beware of the Antichrist that is inside of you, because anything outside of God is Antichrist. During the old days of this country, during times of national crisis or national remembrance, there would be held election day sermons and fast day sermons, the purpose of which is to call the people to repentance and to renewal. And it wasn't so much a political sermon as it was a paternal one, reminding people of why they had first come to this country and what they were doing right now and what they were supposed to do in the future. Because John Winthrop believed something when he set sail in 1630 and preached what has been described by one historian as the most important sermon of the past 1,000 years, in which he said that this new world, this new England, would be a shining city on a hill, able to send forth light to the nations. Because these Puritans, unlike the pilgrims who had come to colonize 10 years before, came with a mission in mind. They wanted the gospel to get to the ends of the earth. And so in order to accomplish that, they left their homes and their jobs and their families behind because they did not want to stand under the rule of the English church. And they said, we will not be ruled by a book of common law or by a book of common prayer or by man-made traditions, but we will be ruled by the word of God. And they were willing to give their lives for that. And so they set sail. Just a few years later, that generation died, and the second generation came not as Englishmen, but as New Englanders born in this country. And they lost their way. They became so focused on expanding the colony and so focused on selling their goods that they got sidetracked from the reason they were there in the first place. That's easy to do, isn't it? Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And so they were called back to this time of repentance, these appointed times to preach these sermons and to proclaim public days of fasting and repentance. And it's interesting, in Old Testament times, whenever Israel faced a time of national crisis, they would do the same thing. They would put on sackcloth, they would put on ashes, and they would repent before the Lord and search within themselves before they searched anywhere else. And so over the next few Sundays, as we talk about the relationship between the gospel and politics, before we look at what's happening specifically in our country, we need to examine and take stock about what's happening within our churches, what's happening within our own hearts. Because the scripture always begins with examination of self. I think the most tragic thing for us would not be that 
planes were used by terrorists to kill our own people, but that we would so get sidetracked on the life that we're living each day that we would forget why we're here and we wouldn't honor those people's sacrifices. So Hosea chapter 1 reminds us of what to do during a time of national crisis. And I want to make a disclaimer here. I don't believe that America and Israel are the same. Israel was a theocracy governed by a rule of God. America is a democracy. Israel had a king. America elects the leaders. And I think more clearly throughout the New Testament, the Scripture indicates that the church of God is the new Israel. We as Gentiles have been grafted in. He came into His own. His own received Him not, but as many as received Him. To those He gave power to become the sons of God. Having said that, I do believe there's some principles that we can learn as a country and as a church out of this book of Hosea. So let's look at this together. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beeri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Dibliam, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel, for in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. She conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Call her name No Mercy, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all, but I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. When she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. The Lord said, Call his name Not My People, for you are not my people. And I am not your God. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, it shall be said to them, Children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together, and they shall appoint for themselves one head, and they shall go up from the land. For great shall be the day of Israel." The book of Hosea is one of the most bizarre passages in the Bible. God commands his prophet Hosea to marry Gomer, an unrepentant prostitute, knowing that Gomer would continue in sin. Because just as Gomer would commit adultery against Hosea, Israel was committing spiritual adultery against the Lord. And God begins to make that comparison. They have three children together. The first one is a boy named Jezreel. Named after blood, the blood of the people. The second is a girl named No Mercy. Because God, after a certain period of Israel refusing to repent, refuses to have mercy on those who will not repent. And then he says, call that third one, not my people. Because you claim God. You have his name on your currency. You have his name as your motto. You sing it in your songs. But the God of the Bible is nowhere to be found. He says, you are not my people. I have to understand something, that there is a judgment of God upon sin. And if you could imagine the most horrific scenario where someone you loved 
constantly gave themselves away to be taken advantage of by someone else, and you knew about it, and it continued to happen, at what point do you rise up and say, this is enough? At what point as you experience the emotional turmoil that has to be going through your heart and through your mind, loving that person, wanting what is best for them, but they continue to act in self-destructive ways, at what point do you say this is enough? And when you reach that point, you get exactly where God is with Israel at this point in time. It's his posture towards them. And so he starts going through the Rolodex of where they've gone wrong. He begins in Hosea 4, Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. He goes on to say in verse 4 of chapter 4, Yet let no one contend, and let none accuse, for with you is my contention, O priest. So the problem can't be blamed away because it isn't without, but within. With you is my contention, not the enemies. He goes on in verse 7, The more they increase, the more they sin against me. I will change their glory into shame. The thing they once exalted will be debased. Then he says in verses 10 and 11, They shall eat, but not be satisfied. They shall play the whore, but not multiply, because they have forsaken the Lord to cherish whoredom, wine, and new wine, which take away the understanding. Hasn't the Lord reminded His people not to be drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Spirit? We drown ourselves in drink when the Lord offers us living water. Verse 12, for a spirit of whoredom has led them astray and they have left their God to play the whore. Is not sexual liberation the theme of our times? And the church is in a unique position because we have to deal with all the brokenness that the culture causes as a result of this. And even the brokenness that's caused within the church. The starkest contrast between the world and the church right now is how we view sex as a gift from God not a license to sleep around with whoever you want. And he asks you that question, are you pure before the Lord? But he's not just speaking of physical whoredom, he's speaking of spiritual whoredom here. He says, look, you've forsaken other and gone to other gods. You've forsaken the God that you love. You say, I haven't forsaken God. I'm still a member of the church. Look at how you spend your time and how you spend your money. Whatever's at the top of that list is your God. He says, they sacrifice on the tops of the mountains and they burn offerings on the hills under oak, poplar, and terebinth because their shade is good. And then in verse 16 of chapter 4, like a stubborn heifer, Israel is stubborn. Can the Lord now feed them like a lamb in a broad pasture? How can you be fed on the milk of God's Word when you're too stubborn to eat? When their drink is gone, they give themselves to whoring. Their rulers dearly love shame. Hear this, O priest. Pay attention, O house of Israel. Give ear, O house of the king, for the judgment is for you. So he's calling out the clergy. He's calling out the government. He's calling out the people. 
Hosea 5.4, their deeds do not permit them to return to their God, for the spirit of whoredom is within them, and they know not the Lord. With their flocks and herds they shall go out to seek the Lord, but they will not find Him. He has withdrawn from them. I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face, and in their distress earnestly seek me and listen to me until we get down on our knees and call on the name of the Lord Nothing is going to change. We spend so much time talking about how the government took prayer out of the school system when we don't even bother to pray in our homes as a family. God help us. And we forget why we're even here in the first place. Hosea 6.6 6 says this clearly, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. You're bringing these sacrifices and you're taking me this offering, but what I want is your love. What I want is your affections, your faithfulness. He says, but like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. There they dealt faithlessly with me. They didn't believe God. They didn't take him at his word. Do you live faithfully or faithlessly? Do you live as if the promises of God are not true? (laughs) Because whatsoever is not of faith is sin. They do not consider that I remember all their evil. Hosea 7.2 Hosea 8.4 They made kings, but not through me. They set up princes, but I knew it not. With their silver and gold they made idols, For their own destruction, they sow the wind and they reap the whirlwind. For Israel has forgotten his maker and built palaces, and Judah has multiplied fortified cities. We build palaces and design fortresses and construct fences when the protection that we need is from the Lord. The prophet is the watchman of Ephraim with my God, and yet a fouler snare is on all his ways. Hatred in the house of his God. Hatred in the house of his God. My goodness. But they came to Baal and consecrated themselves to the thing of shame and became detestable like the thing they loved. Ephraim's glory shall fly away like a bird. My God will reject them because they have not listened to him. They shall be wanderers among the nations. For now they will say, we have no king, for we do not fear the Lord. And a king, what can he do for us? Have they forgotten that they asked God for a king centuries ago? And he told them, you have no king. You're ruled by the king of kings. And they said, give us a king. And he did so. And now they discarded the very king that they wanted So many believers will get a lot more fired up about who's elected as president rather than what's going on in the church of God. We're no different some days. He will later say in chapter 13, I gave you a king in my anger and I took him away in my wrath. They utter mere words with empty oaths. They make covenants so judgments spring up like poisonous weeds in the furrows of the Lord. You give your life to God, you made a vow to Him. It's not one you should easily break. They mourn over the calf of Bethaven in Hosea 10.5, those who rejoiced over it and over its glory, for it has departed from them. The Assyrians who attacked Israel were wicked people. They would often display the heads of their enemies as trophies. They would do awful things. They would watch spouses 
being murdered. They would watch them being taken advantage of by the enemy, and they did all these things for their own glory. But Israel, when they finally got fully conquered by Assyria and their captives were taken away, had built this calf just like they had centuries beforehand with Moses out in the wilderness, and they had worshipped this calf, and now, rather than it being taken away, the, the calf is being taken away. And God says, out of result of this, Ephraim shall be put to shame, and Israel shall be ashamed of his idol. So you think about this. The people of God who once had his commandments in an ark are now crying over a calf that they made. It's embarrassing. We have plowed iniquity. We have reaped injustice. We have eaten the fruit of lies because we have trusted in our own way the multitude of our warriors. Trusted in your own way. Trusted in your security. Trusted in your military. Trusted in your bank accounts. Hosea 11, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offers to idols. Some of the people who God most desires to use are the very ones who run away. Instead of running away from God like Jonah did, you ought to be running to God so that he can make your path straight. God reminds them in Hosea 11, Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. But I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. You know no God but me, and besides me there is no Savior. It was I who knew you in the wilderness in the land of drought. But when they had grazed, they became full. They were filled, and their heart was lifted up. Therefore they forgot about me. They loaded themselves up on calories rather than on remembering what God has said, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of his mouth. He destroys you, O Israel, for you are against me, against your helper. The very one who's trying to help you is the one that you push away. If that isn't true in your life, that isn't true in my life. This is a very sobering time that God brings his people to. The sobering time that God brings us to. But if this was the only word of the Lord, we would be condemned. We would be guilty because all of us have violated these commandments of the Lord. All of us stand in the place of Israel. But we serve a God who has not left us without hope. Who has not left us without something to look forward to. And so God in this book calls on the people to return to the Lord. Beginning in Hosea 10:12, sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love, break up your fallow ground, for it is the time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. Hosea 11:8 through 9. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboam? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. goes on to say that he will roar like a lion, and when he roars, his children will return trembling from all over the earth, and he will return them to their homes. He talks about Jacob prevailing with the Lord that night in the wilderness, in the desert place, 
wrestling with the angel of God, saying, Lord, I will not leave you until your blessing, your hand is upon me. God hears that prayer. Hears that prayer. He says, so you, by the help of your God, return. Hold fast to love and justice and wait continually for your God. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. And listen to this, I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. People, and he shall say, you are my God. And he closes out this book in Hosea 14.3 with one of the greatest promises in all of Scripture. It says, in you, in you, the orphan finds mercy. He's not talking about the people who have no parents. He's talking even more about the people who are away from God. You and I are those orphans. And he calls us to himself. Israel's greatest success came when they called upon the name of the Lord, when they cried out to Him for help. I want to call us this morning to a desperate dependence on God. Because it's the only way we're going to have a spiritual breakthrough. So we're going to take time this morning to examine ourselves. Listen. If you're here today and everything's well with you, you need to remember what Jesus says. They who are whole have no need of a physician. But those who are sick... This isn't a museum we're running. This is a hospital. This is for people who need help. This is why I'm here. I need help. And so I'm going to ask us to gather together, as we did a couple of months ago, in groups of about five people or so. I know this might be a little bit uncomfortable for some of you who are newer. And so regular members, let's, let's help them out. But we're going to gather together, and we're going to take 11 minutes praying together through some needs in our country and asking God to forgive us in our own lives of our sin and calling on him and taking his promises by faith that he will not leave us forsaken. So I'm going to ask us, let's take a couple of minutes, get together in groups of about five people, and then Dave's going to come and lead us in prayer. Let's do that. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the broadcast. If you found it helpful, please consider sharing it with your family and friends. For more information, check us out online at barryefields.com.